Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, you'll hear from Dana Gresh of Pure Freedom Ministries. She founded Secret Keeper Girl almost two decades ago, and the touring event is now known as True Girl for tween girls and their moms. Find out more about how this ministry addresses challenges with God's truth coming up. Then Jay and Laura LaFoon do their share of touring as well, offering principles designed to strengthen marriages with enthusiasm and humor. Some comments from the LaFoons are coming up. Plus, Jen Pollock-Michelle shared in a recent conversation about how God works even in the surprise and complexity and perplexity of our lives. Here's some of her comments ahead. And on this edition of The Intersection, a Maryland Christian school that had successfully participated in a voucher program for low-income students was removed from the program due to its biblical teaching on marriage and sexuality. Alliance Defending Freedom is involved in a court case on behalf of the school. You'll hear David Cortman's analysis of aspects of that case. Finally, there's been plenty of discussion about the death of a high-ranking Iranian military official, the result of U.S. action, and former U.S. Navy Chaplain Gordon Klingenschmidt provided some insight on the incident, integrating elements of what is known as just war theory, which has its roots in Scripture. You'll be hearing from him on this edition of The Intersection. Well, this is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Dana Gresh of Pure Freedom Ministries is the founder of Secret Keeper Girl, now known as True Girl. She's written books such as And the Bride Wore White and a book she co-wrote with Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth called Lies Young Women Believe. In a recent conversation, she talked about how these True Girl events address challenges that tween girls and their moms experience. Here now is Dana Gresh. I like to say it's the most fun a mom and a daughter are ever going to have digging into God's Word. And we really do dig into God's Word, but we do it with laughter, we do it with worship, live worship, with dancing, with games, uh, with lots of interactive experiences. And our goal is very um, unashamedly to help a girl identify lies in her life, lies in the culture, lies in her world that may be leading her to unhealthy emotional existence. So the anxiety and the depression is really hockey-sticked for this age group in the past um, 10 years, something that's very scary. And those emotions are telling her something's not right, that there's probably a lie in the atmosphere or maybe even deeply rooted in her heart that she needs to identify and replace with God's truth. So we give her the tools to do that at these events ministry verses John eight thirty one and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We want to teach girls that powerful skill from a very young age, so maybe they don't have to know some of the heart heartache and hurt that their grandmas and moms knew. Tell me just yeah. a bit about the, the fashion show itself and the message that you really want to send to girls through this component of the event. I think it's really important. You know, we know that... Um, that a girl appearing older than she actually does just increase some of the risks of her heart being broken in emotional relationships and struggling with body image and eating disorders. Um, to me, as a mom, that says, hey, let's talk about how she's dressing, what she's wearing. You know, the few years ago, eyeliner and mascara sales for 11-year-olds doubled, and I was like, why are 11-year-olds, why, why is there anything to double? Why are they wearing eyeliner and mascara? They don't need it. And um, so we try to present from a very grace-based, 
philosophy, the idea of dressing appropriately. What does it mean to dress appropriately? You know, you don't wear your Speedo to church on Sunday morning, thank goodness. You don't wear um, a beautiful ball gown to a campfire. That wouldn't look too good. You'd be silly. And there are also, you know, when I'm this age, I wear this. When I'm at this event, I wear that. There are appropriate guidelines. And so we try to teach them using God's Word. What's appropriate for me as a 10-year-old? You know, there's a lot of fashion choices out there. Which of them can I embrace? And the ones that are maybe a little risky, can I modify them and do them a little bit differently? Uh, so it's a fun time. It's probably when we ask the girls at the end of the night, we always spend as much time as they want out of the signing line in the lobby. Say, what was your favorite thing? A lot of them go back to that fashion show. They really love it. It's fun, but they're hearing and learning deep truth as they experience it. And I want you to dig a little bit deeper for us, Dana, when you talk about the message, when you have girls that are being conditioned to try to look older than they are or are trying to embrace certain trends of the world and buy into the worldliness. So what do you see are the, the, I guess, the forces behind those desires and how God's Word can really help to refine and counter those? Well, I mean, I think it's just going along with the empty-headed, mindless crowd. We've been doing it for ever. Uh, We want to be like everyone else. We want to have what everyone else has. Um, You know, going back to the Garden of Eden, when Eve is like, hey, I have to have that fruit, that piece of fruit that I am not supposed to have. There was a whole garden full of trees she couldn't have eaten from. But we tend to want what we can't have. It's just inside of us. And Satan generally makes that a temptation for us. And so these girls are facing temptation we never had to. You know, I'm a grandmother now, brand new grandma, just became a grandma this year. Congratulations. Twin girls, Addie and Zoe. And I'm so thankful that the only thing I had to compare myself to when I was a tween were a handful of supermodels. Now, granted, they were the genetically perfect women on the planet, the Cindy Crawfords and so forth. But now these girls, when my granddaughters are 10 years old, they're going to have to compare themselves to absolutely hundreds of thousands of images on Instagram and social media. The competition is fierce, and it tells lies to their little hearts that they're not enough. And God did create women to be beautiful. Look at the scripture. Um, God created women to be an expression of his artistry, an expression of his beauty, and that is a good thing. But when that gets distorted and we begin to believe lies about it and the way it's expressed isn't healthy or holy, then our little hearts get broken. Dana Gresh here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website mytruegirl.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Jay and Laura LaFoon of Celebrate Ministries. In a recent conversation, they provided words of encouragement for married couples and shared some elements that they cover in the devotional book, Celebrate Your Marriage, 365 Daily Devotions for Busy Couples. Here now are Jay and Laura LaFoon. Well, we wrote this book for busy couples. And then the reason we wrote it for busy couples is because almost every couple's busy. So <laughs> yes. the devotion is literally less than two minutes. And we don't say that to, to um, diminish having time with the Lord. But if you're busy and you don't have 20, 30 minutes to have a quiet time, at least you can land on a, on a similar spot every day with your spouse. It literally is a less than two minute read. We've got a scripture. We've got a thought for the day and then a reflection. 
And um, really simple, great way for a, a couple to just uh, at least connect for a moment uh, spiritually. And so that's why we wrote it, because um, it really is hard for couples to have devotions together. Um, we call this a gateway devotional. Um, that's, you know, hopefully something to get you started. And in our ministry, we hear from a lot of couples, young and old. It's not, you know, age, aged, whatever. It's, specific. Yes. It's not age specific that young and old say we just, you know, we're so busy. Even we even hear it from retired people who you would think are not busy, <laughs> but no, they're busy. And so, you know, just finding time to not only, think through scripture for your marriage, but to also spend time as a husband and wife reading it together and, and, and talking about it. Well, when you talk about 365 different topics, what generally did you find are some of the things that you wanted to address? You know, really, our ministry is called Celebrate Ministries because we're all about encouraging couples. And so while we took some of the issues and uh, that that we all go through, we tried to make it very encouraging in its um, bent. Uh, we wanted it to encourage couples in this specific area, or um, you know, preventative. Here's one on April 13th: preventative measures, and the scripture is Luke 6:38. You know, give it, given it, it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together. We all understand. You know, so what what's it take to stay daily connected? What's it take to plan regular dates? And uh, we just give some thought there for that. And in an encouraging way, we want to encourage couples to celebrate what God's given them in, e in each other. Well, and as we move toward, we, we talked about Valentine's Day earlier. That's coming up in just a month from now. And really, that does give us an opportunity to reflect on the relationships that God has given to us and this whole area of celebration. Jay, how can we as married couples really develop a greater sense of appreciation for the spouse that God has given to us? Well, I think it goes back to, um, oh, there's a passage in Philippians that says, whatever is true, whatever is noble— Whatever is pure, think on these things. And I think that is is, is a, a great place to start. Um, we've got a devotional April 14th, back to square one. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And if we apply that to our marriage, you know, yes, I can tell you the 85 things that Laura does that, you know, irritates me, <laughs> and she can tell you the 185 no. things. That no. I do. But if, if we think on those things, then that's what's going to consume our mind. But if we think about the pure things about our spouse, the lovely things about our spouse, the noble things about our spouse, then that's going to continue to grow that love. I like to encourage women by saying, you know, when you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, the first thing I want you to think about is something positive about your husband and then think on it all day long. Because as women, so often we think of the bad things of the fact that they're not helping with the kids or they're not helping with the dishes or they don't help with the housework or they work workaholics, they work all the time, you know, on and on and on. And we complain sometimes to our girlfriends that we, you know, even though we shouldn't. So I like to encourage women to just, you know, your feet hit the floor. Think of something good about your husband, positive about your husband and think on it all day. Jay and Laura LaFoon here on The Intersection. Find out more through the website jandandlaura.com. Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Jen Pollock-Michelle. She is the author of a book called Surprised by Paradox, The Promise of And in an Either-Or World. With some insight into how God works, even in some of the perplexing times of our lives, this is Jen Pollock-Michelle. 
the book started um, in a counselor's office, I say, at the very beginning of the book. And I had and still have a difficult relationship with an extended member of my family, a person who I feel God's calling me to, to love, to be involved in their life, to serve them, to help them, but a person who's um, experienced a lot of trauma and um, relies on a lot of, like, relational dysfunction. Like, the, the essentially, the relationship was just breaking down. I wanted to help this person, but ultimately I didn't trust this person, and this person was often lying to me, and I just wasn't sure how to handle it. I needed a lot of wisdom, and I was praying about it. And I eventually just decided, you know, I'm I'm just going to go to a counselor and just sort of get some answers. And I went to the counselor with this question. This is how I formulated it in my mind. Do I break off the relationship with this person because it's just so dysfunctional, even though I feel like God's calling me to love them? Or do I just kind of pretend the dysfunction isn't there? For the sake of the relationship, do I just sort of, you know, not confront anything? Um, and those were kind of the two answers that I had. And, and hopefully, you can see it was it was an either or framework. Either, mm-hmm. you know, I pretend that this dysfunction isn't happening, or I confront it and break off the relationship. And I went into the counselor, sort of giving her those alternatives, and she looked at me and said, "Do you think there could be other alternatives? Do you think there could be other options?" And I thought. Well, yeah, that seems kind of obvious, and, and and it's silly, but I started to realize how often in my life, especially in my life with God, I kind of end up with two options, you know, just this either-or framework. I mean, I think, you know, I can think of as a young Christian, you know, either you were totally sold out to Jesus, and you went on the mission field, and you owned nothing, and you, you know, um, you were in the mo- most remote jungle of the most remote country ever, or you worked for some corporation and you were a sellout, right? And, you know, they, just these this kind of extremes of, um, of, of these alternatives that, that actually Scripture just doesn't abide, you know, when I think about, you know, so that took me into theological kind of places to think about the Incarnation, that, you know, at the very, at, in, in His very nature, God isn't an either-or, you know, in Jesus. He's a both-and, both fully God and fully man, and that was something that, you know, we struggle to understand, and Christians throughout the centuries have struggled to understand. But we don't, and, and it's good to sort of wrestle with it, but we don't ever really end up with an answer. And I think in some ways that's good, because it reminds us that a life of faith is not a life of control. And what I realized is that so often when I kind of search for these, like, neat and tidy answers of the either and the or, it really is about control. I just want to, I just, I don't really want to have to depend on God. You know, I don't want to have to be in a place of discomfort or sustain any tension in my life. I just want to, like, know the right answer and go do it and feel good about myself, you know? So even in that relationship with this person, this person in my extended family, I still have a relationship with this person, and I'm walking in the tension of the both and, both seeking to love this person unconditionally and be a means of grace in this person's life, and, you know, reckon very, very honestly with how our relationship needs to grow and how this person needs to grow and I need to grow too in ways that can be healthier so that we can communicate in better ways and and function in better, better ways. I think so much of Christian truth leads us into a both and, not just an either or. 
And so there are all these, I mean, we could talk about lots of examples from the book. I talk about ways that the kingdom of God is a both and. You know, Jesus' you know, own exaltation was a humiliation, you know, in one sense, a going to the cross. Like, his kingship was proven as he went to the cross. Like, this, these things don't make sense. And they require us to kind of assume a posture of humility and trust, and I think ultimately worship. Jen Pollock Michelle here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website, Jen Pollock, P-O-L-L-O-C-K, Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L dot com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. Plus, The Intersection can be found in that Media Center. You can also subscribe to it via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there is a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversation material from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and through a variety of podcast platforms. Moving on now on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Vice President of U.S. Litigation and Senior Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, David Cortman. He discussed with me a case involving a Maryland Christian school that was removed from its participation in a voucher program for low-income students because of its Christian views on marriage and sexuality. Here now is David Cortman. Like many other states throughout the country, uh, Maryland has, um, as part of its voucher program, uh, a program called Boost. And it's basically, it, it stands for Broadening Options and Opportunities for Students, and it's really aimed at low-income students. And so what it does is, is once you qualify for the program, uh, students are allowed to use these vouchers to help attend both religious and secular schools. And um, Bethel School is a Christian school. Unabashedly, they have, you, you know, going on their website and looking at their handbooks, that they have a, a biblical view of, of marriage and other things. And so they've been in this program for several years with great success. Uh, it's a very diverse school. They have students represented, I think, about 40 countries. Uh, 85% of their students are of diverse backgrounds. I mean, just an incredible school that does great work. Went through this, this voucher program for the last couple of years with great success. success. Then this, this Boost Advisory Committee, which is just a, a, you know, this part of the government agency, says, hey, we don't like what's in your handbook. We don't like this religious stuff you know, that you're saying marriage should be between a man and a woman. So we're going to kick you out of this program, even though you've complied with it for the last couple of years, and even though there's no evidence you've discriminated against anyone, and that's exactly where, the, you know, where this case started from. So basically, Bethel, I believe the, the actual official name of the school is Bethel Christian Academy, and it was part, of, as you mentioned, of this voucher program, this boost program. All of a sudden, the advisory board decided they did not like the teachings of marriage and sexuality. As you mentioned, no evidence of any discrimination with respect to student enrollment or student participation in the program. So how did ADF get involved, and what are the steps that you all have taken now as far as trying to get Bethel Ministries back in the program? 
Right. So, so we were contacted by um, the school uh, shortly after this was going on and actually work with them to try to work it out with, with the government first before suing. You know, what could we do? What's the problem? Uh, and and is, what, what evidence do you have we're doing anything wrong? And what's interesting through the process is, is the answer was, well, nothing. We don't have any evidence you actually did anything wrong. We just don't like this religious language that's in your documents. And we think every time you mention biblical marriage or in a biblical sexuality, you should strip that out of who you are. And the response was, well, we can't because we're a Christian school and this is what our beliefs are. And we want everyone to know who voluntarily chooses to come here, among the other hundreds of schools that you could attend, um, that that's what you're going to get. And so after not being able to work that out for about a year and a half, um, we decided the only way to protect their rights and, uh, and to try to get them back in the program uh, is to file a lawsuit against the state. David Corkman is joining us today here on The Beating House on Faith Radio as we talk about this case out of Maryland. It involves Bethel Ministries and its Christian school. David is the vice president of U.S. litigation and senior counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom. So I know there was a hearing that took place in federal court. Tell me just a bit about that hearing. And is this this actually the first time that you have gone into court with respect to this case? Yes, it is. And, and the hearing was basically, we were asking the court um, to, to do two things. Um, number one, not only did the, the, the Boost Advisory Board, the state, kick Bethel out of the program, but amazingly enough, they actually are trying to punish them with a $100,000 fine. And they said, for the last two years you participated, even though you, you, the students got these funds and you educated and Bethel lived up to this part of the bargain, because we don't like the language that's in your handbook, we want you to repay us this $100,000 fine for the last two years, even though you haven't done anything wrong. So we went to court saying we want the court to stop them from from demanding this $100,000 penalty that the school doesn't have and can't afford and to allow them back into the program. So that's what the court hearing was about. There's no opinion. The court's going to take probably several weeks uh, to issue one, uh, but certainly was asking all the questions from both sides about, you know, the different facts and things going on in the case. David Corkman here on The Intersection. The Alliance Defending Freedom website is adflegal.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's former U.S. Navy Chaplain Gordon Klingenschmidt, formerly a military intelligence officer. He has also served as a Colorado State Representative. In a recent conversation, he shared analysis of the situation involving the death of Iranian military leader Qassem Soleimani and explored components of the concept of just war consistent with a biblical worldview perspective. Here now is Gordon Klingenschmidt. It's important to notice that uh, Qasem Soleimani was not the top general in all of their military for defending Iran. He was over the Quds Force, which is their exporting of terrorism and violence arm of their armed forces. He was basically the guy in charge of sending missiles over to Hezbollah and Hamas to harass Israel, um, to fund uh, Yemen and terrorist operations in other countries outside of Iran, which ended up, ironically, uh, not only creating the USS Cole disaster, if you remember our Navy was attacked by mm-hmm. terrorists, uh, but, but hundreds of little skirmishes over the years, planting IEDs throughout Iraq and killing over 600 Americans over the years. This was uh, Qasem Soleimani's bread and butter. Uh, About three years ago, Netanyahu in Israel sent F-16s to go take out Soleimani, 
But Barack Obama stopped them. In fact, he ratted on them by calling Iran to say, watch out, there's Israeli F-16s coming in to kill Soleimani. You better stop them. And so he, Soleimani was a friend of Barack Obama, or at least uh, Obama was friendly to him. Uh, Trump had had enough of this. The, we had intelligence reports in the weeks before uh, Christmas this year that Soleimani was planning to kill more Americans and planning to kill more Iraqi uh, coalition force members. And so Trump took him out preemptively, and that stopped and probably saved another 100 lives. Who knows uh, what could have happened? But Soleimani was a terrorist. It, the, Iran is, is one of the world's leaders in state sponsored mm. terrorism, and they used the, what is it, $150 billion that Iraq, uh, Barack Obama gave them through the bad deal, they used that to fund these terrorist export operations, and Trump had had enough. So when you are at war with Iran, it's not just a matter where you've got troops going up against each other. You have these tactics where you have networks or cells of of terrorists that have state sponsorship in many cases that are actually intent on doing harm to those who disagree with them is that is that a fairly i know that's a layman's assessment but uh, what would be your comment about that well my observation is there's a war there's a difference between war between nation states and terrorists who attack unarmed civilians um, we all remember 9/11, of course. Uh, whether wh- whoever was in charge, you know, behind that, Bin Laden and Afghanistan and the Taliban, uh, and, and ultimately maybe some connection to Saddam Hussein. But the question was, do do they have a right? Do they have a moral and ethical right to attack unarmed civilians? And and obviously we we think no because we love New York City, but. The moral and ethical question has to be answered, I think, from a theory of just war. And as a former Navy chaplain, I used to teach just war theory and ask, sailors would come up to me all the time, chaplain, is it okay for a sailor to go to war? Is it okay for me to kill people? Or am I going to be in trouble with God because I'm wearing a military uniform? And there are many biblical ways to answer that. Um, I'm, I'm... Remembering Jesus, for example, when he had an encounter with a centurion, uh, and he didn't say, uh, take off the uniform, stop serving Rome. The, he said, be content with your pay. In other words, don't, don't abuse your uniform and your, and your sword to rob people. You can serve the government. You can do it ethically. Um, you know, maybe, maybe governments have a role to have a military, whereas vigilante Members of society do not have a role in robbing 7-Eleven, for example, for it, just because their family is hungry or they need money. Uh, you can't. You, you, the policeman inside of the 7-Eleven wears a uniform and is justified in shooting because he acts on behalf of the government, whereas the vigilante without a government uniform is not justified before God for using force against his neighbor because he's not enforcing the law to keep a peaceful and just society. Same thing with military members. Gordon Klingenschmidt here on this edition of The Intersection. His website address is PrayInJesusName.org. Well, we are coming to the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info 
or by visiting the Faith Radio website. In the programming section, you'll find a link to the Meeting House as well as to the Media Center. That link can also be found through the Meeting House homepage. Through the Media Center, you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. The podcast can be found in the Media Center as well, plus it's available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page, plus there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the Christian Product Expo International held in Murfreesboro, Tennessee in August. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.